0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, my name is Daniel Lee Dark, and I'm delighted to welcome you to our latest episode of Best Piece of Advice Ever. A show in which creative leaders tell us the best piece of advice they have ever been given and how it's impacted their careers. In today's show, I have the pleasure of speaking to the wonderful Emma Sexton, entrepreneur, designer and co-host of Badass Women's Hour, who talks about feminism, what makes work better and working smarter. Welcome to the show, Emma. Uh, For those that don't know, please could you tell our kind listeners what you do and who you are?
1: Uh, So I'm Emma Sexton. Uh, How would I describe myself? Uh, A creative, an entrepreneur, probably more of a feminist entrepreneur. Uh, I'm also a radio presenter on talk radio for the Badass Women's Hour, and I am also creative in residence at King's College London and also Imperial College London.
0: God, that's impressive. We'll come back into <laughs> the amount of things that you do. But um, what would you say you're most famous for?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I wasn't expecting that one. I think, I think I am famous for solutions. Creative solutions to life's problems. That's what I would say I'm famous for.
0: Very good. Uh, We'll come back onto that. Um, Before we go into the big question, what's the most interesting thing that's happened to you this year?
1: Do you know what? I feel really fortunate because there are lots of things that happened to me, especially having the radio show. So um, interviewing Rose McGowan this week was a massive highlight. Uh, being in the same room as the Queen yesterday was a big highlight, although wasn't quite VIP enough to be able to actually meet her, but we won't talk about that.
0: So what did Rose McGowan have to say?
1: So it's really interesting because with the show, we get to have a lot of interesting people on that. We have a lot of free reign on that show, which I think is a real privilege. And having somebody like Rose McGowan, who is quite a quite a big celebrity, I would say, it's very interesting how the bigger the celebrity, the harder they are to interview because they very media terrain, They don't really let their guard down. So while she was fascinating, I feel like actually people who are a bit more real. You can have some more real conversations.
0: So you actually could. You could actually see that guard. I mean, you it's can kind of you're trying to get through it, but it just it just stops. Yeah, stuff coming and out. it's
1: also that the conversation isn't a natural flow. Like it's a bit more yes, no. Like I'm really, really conscious of what I'm saying. And when you have a conversation with a human being when they're very guarded it's just not the same because they're not really being themselves and you just i don't know it's um yeah it's very interesting
0: well let's try and make sure there's no guarding here it'll be fine um so um let's go straight into the big question so what's the best piece of advice you have ever been given and by whom
1: so it's actually from my dad which could be a bit of a cliche i remember when i was studying for my ma in design management and i went out to work when i was 18 so i never did a degree so i had a massive Inferiority, inferiority complex for anybody that had been to uni because I just thought that I was a bit thick to be honest uh, mainly because of the education system so I did my MA in design management I was doing my first assignment and I literally worked myself up into such a tiz over this assignment I got my marks back and I got I can't remember the grade but it's pretty much like a C it was an average pass and I said to my dad dad I don't know if I can do this course I've done the first assignment nearly ruined me and I got an average pass this is too hard And he was like, Emma, you don't need to work harder. You need to work smarter. And to me, that was a bit of an epiphany. And I was like, "Uh, what? And he's like, well, you just need to understand what they're marking you for. And then you make sure that's in your assignment. And whilst that sounds like the obvious thing, probably to most people listening to me, that was like a bit of a light bulb moment. And actually, that is how I live my life. I always now think about what is the end goal? What needs to be done? What's the smartest way of achieving that?
0: And I think it's, it kind of feels like that's also also knowing your audience. Yeah. Because I think we know, we, sometimes we, we, we do things and, and we put a lot of effort into them and actually it's not what the audience wants. No. And, and So it's, I think that's what he was also saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I use that for everything. And it's kind of like, I feel like that's my life hack because I think we forget that everybody's just interested in, them, in themselves ultimately. So the more interesting you can make something to somebody else and not you, the more engaging you're going to be, the more likely you are to influence them, the more likely you are to have an impact. So yeah, I feel like that's... That was a that was a, a life changing piece of advice. Thanks, so, so,
0: so, so give me some so give me some examples of how you've used that in your in your work and in your career.
1: So I I use it for everything, right? So it might be a brief from a client. So I have a design agency. Um, It might be actually the way that I want to build my business. So for instance, my business, we don't have an office. We're six years old. The way I've structured my business is very different because I looked at the outcomes in terms of the lifestyle I wanted, the culture of the business, how I wanted to run it. Uh, And so what I've done is I've then... I think it actually makes you more creative. It's almost design thinking, right? You start with the the end goal, and then you kind of research and you try and find the most appropriate fit for that end goal. Yep. So you're starting with the end of mine. So I'll use it for everything. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's, I just feel like everything I'm trying to do in my life, I'm always like, right, what is the smartest way for me to do it? Because actually, I am the laziest person in the world and I can't do extra work. So it has to be the smartest to keep me engaged. Otherwise... I have zero interest.
0: So it's interesting when I when when you first shared that to me that, that I actually it, it it kind of said to me productivity. Yeah. And actually being more productive, so therefore being smarter with your time. So yeah, yeah being yeah. smarter with your time to a certain extent. I mean, how much how much is how much of of that is in there as well?
1: Uh well, I think I uh, yeah, I for me, I don't know what it is. I have this um I have this constant feeling that time's running out, that I have to make the most of every single hour and day that I have on this planet. And I'm not prepared to... Um, I I just want to be... Li- I, just, I always live as if tomorrow is my last day. Am I happy with where my life is? And so I am very productive because I don't want waste, to waste time because there's lots that I want to achieve and lots that I want to do.
0: Yeah, so. and I think... So I think... What I think is really interesting about you is that you do so many different things. And it's really interesting because the Art of the Side project is coming up a lot now. We're starting to really see it. And if you look at how Mm. we met with through Creative Social and what I was doing Creative Social you know what I think is interesting for me is I still 100% believe in side projects but the thing that I say to everyone now is make sure it fits with your overall goal work out how it fits because I think there's still people who say just do something that's completely irrelevant over there and then do your day to day over here and, I, and I, I'm i not sure that that's right and and we were just talking about you know one of the projects you're doing and you're still trying to work out where it fits yeah. so how do you how do you ladder everything and that, you know you talk about time how do you find the time to do all the things you're doing
1: so uh, so i'm a big believer of the side hustle and what i think is really interesting is just as the side hustles become the main conversation i am now pendulum is for me is swinging the other way and i am trying to to absolutely focus now because whilst for me having a side hustle and i had a few side hustles i had a business i had another business i had a project on the future of work um you know Uh, The radio show had started. But I think for me, it was a brilliant time of experimenting. It was a brilliant time for me to just work out what I loved, uh, what I didn't like so much. But then it came to a point where I was like, I... I'm having a really wonderful life experimenting with all these things and I meet amazing people and it's a wonderful time but ultimately what do I want from life I want financial freedom I want to be a brilliant businesswoman and I had to absolutely knuckle and laser down so whilst you're saying oh you do loads of stuff and actually I still do I do an awful lot less and I am I would say 90% focused on building my business now
0: okay fantastic and um, so so as Utopia, the, the change, culture change consultant I run, we spend a lot of time going to businesses and helping them become more entrepreneurial. Um, if you look at business today, I think it's fair to say working smarter, not harder, would be a very good piece of advice. Uh, from what you see, where do you think businesses are getting it wrong and where could they actually, how could they work far smarter?
1: Yeah, so I think they're getting it wrong on on lots of on lots of levels. One conversation that you always see on the news is about our productivity levels. I think that for me, flexible working is one of the biggest, is is the the easiest win with the biggest impact. Um, And I can say that confidently because my business runs entirely with flexible working. In fact, we don't have an office. I think in terms of productivity, when you are in an office nine to five every day, uh, people then start filling time. They have no incentive or motivation to do things right the first time, nail the brief, get the information that they need because what's their incentive? They're not... You know, there's no reward for that. There's no autonomy either. So I think that that's that's something that businesses are really getting wrong. I think also they're stuck in this time warp of running their companies like they did 100 years ago, where that person is on payroll, being paid as least as possible, worked as hard as possible, Uh, my ethos is, you know, we've got to start putting people first and clients second. And that's exactly how I operate my business. I don't have a business if I don't have happy employees. I can have lots of employees. If they're not happy, are they going to service my clients? Not really. Are they going to do the best work that we can do? Not really. So I think flexible working, putting your employees and human beings first. Like, let's make work a place where you can thrive rather than somewhere that you have to turn up to get a paycheck. And then you have to self-medicate the weekend by getting yourself absolutely drunk because, you know, you're not enjoying Monday to Friday. Like, I don't know. I just don't think it, it, it needs to be that way. And work can be a really incredible place for people.
0: You're preaching to the converted. Yeah. We don't. We don't have officers, but it's and we do so hard. Yeah, it is. But I think so. I think the thing that the thing I think we're trying to work out, and again, I'd like to get to see what you've done on this side. But you know, we do talk about the village effect. So now there is a reason why. Um, there is a reason why people do go to work you know people do like spending time with human beings yeah. uh, and i think it's really important i think that's why when we look at a lot of the work that we do it's it's actually saying well why go into work to then sit at your computer and just do emails the whole time you know, when you actually could be sitting and speaking and you know coming up with ideas and problem solving together and spending time together how do you how with your team and also for yourself how do you kind of still make sure that human interaction is at the heart of what you do in day to day.
1: We have a lot of human interaction. So we always have at least one day a week where the whole team works together. And that is one day that's booked out, no other meetings. That is our face-to-face time. Um, but the rest of the time, you know, people always say, well, how do you have a culture if you don't have an office? But our culture is the way that we interact with each other. And that's, you know, our Slack groups. That's our emails. That's the way that we run our projects. And... Um, So, you know, I think like you you have to see what people need and some people want more face-to-face time and some people don't. And I just think we need to, we can have that flexibility by understanding what people need and also what work are you doing? Mm. You know, like sometimes... I need the day to myself because I'm doing some big thinking pieces. If I meet the team for the day, I know there's going to be a lot more chatting, you know, and a lot less kind of work done, but it's different work. So, you know, we just have to understand what work are we doing? How does the team need to work? What have people got going on? But you just have to let people be a bit autonomous to, like, you know, plan their week. How are they going to get the work done? What do they need? Do they need some time with the team? Do they need to lock themselves away in a room? Do they need to go and, I don't know, work in another country for a bit? Like, I just, I just think we're massively overthinking it. I think as human beings, we just need to learn what works for us and just get into our own flow.
0: So there, are, so there will be hopefully a lot of creators listening to this that want to run their own businesses, and you have built your own successful businesses are you saying and staying very still focused building. on that still building. still building um what advice would you give to them Oh,
1: uh, okay so you just have to start and I think people have said to me but what do you mean just start and it's it's basically you do just have to start you have to do those first paces because running a business is a really incredible challenging journey and What I've learned that people don't talk about is that your business will only evolve as you do and that your personal growth is as important as the business growth. You also have to be really mindful about being a practitioner, becoming an entrepreneur. And I think this is where a lot of creatives get stuck because they want to have their own business because they want the autonomy and the freedom. But ultimately, they just love being a creative and you can't be a practitioner and an entrepreneur. So now I am a graphic designer by trade. I actually love running the business. I feel like this is my next challenge. This is where I'm in my creative sweet spot in terms of all the problems you have to solve but I don't do any design now I rarely do any creative direction and I actually love that so you have to be really clear about what you enjoy and what you don't because if you want to if you want to have your own business that's fine but if you are the practitioner acknowledge that get somebody in to run the business for you.
0: I think that's really important because I think everyone creativity thinks it's art related and you know it's actually i define creativity as solving problems which is kind yeah, of if what you're doing just, which yeah. is what you've just said if you're That's doing what you art, love doing
1: if you're doing art you don't have a business in fact i've got an article for creative review coming out next week and i talk exactly that basically if you're an artist you do exactly what you want and you know you don't have any brief there's no edits and hopefully someone will buy it just the way you made it if you want to make money <laughs> out of being a commercial creator or a designer You have to solve a problem for a client that they are willing to pay you for. And if you're really, really good, they will not even bully you on your prices because you will be so worth whatever the fee is that you want to charge that they'll pay it because you deliver great work.
0: And I think, as you know, my background is advertising. I think that's what advertising got it wrong, have got it wrong because I've asked over 50 creative directors for their definition of creativity. Right. And they don't use the word value in their definition. No, because they all think they're artists. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, yeah. fundamentally, the best creatives are the ones that recognise value that that creativity has to deliver value yeah
1: and we we're losing our clients and our clients don't want to pay for creative work because we don't talk that language and that's something that I'm a big champion of it's something you know my work with King's College is I help people who have no understanding of design and creativity how to really leverage that for business success and I can I can talk that language but I did an MA in design management and our clients value that and they'll pay for that and our creative gets signed off because we have rationale behind our design decisions we, we've we interrogated their brief we understand how that brief ties in with the wider business objectives the business strategy and that's what creators aren't doing they're showing stuff and going doesn't this look really pretty oh look at this lovely typeface and, and we saw this thing and, and clients are lost that's not their language they want to know how is that, that going to make make my stuff better? How am I going to sell more, look better, build confidence, whatever you've defined? They're not going to pay for something because you've decided you're the tastemaker. Like that's just not the world we're in.
0: So this podcast about advice. How, <laughs> how important do you think advice is generally?
1: I think advice is um, not important and not valuable. So the thing is, I find <laughs> I don't seek advice. I seek perspectives. Interesting. But I'd never take advice. What I like to do I mean it makes no, I mean what I like to do is get all those different perspectives and use those to solve my own problem. Because ultimately when someone's giving you advice, it's only their life experience from their perspective, their certain Dynamics. My life is different. My perspective on the world is different. That's not to say what they've got, what they're saying isn't valuable, but I need to put that through my own filter. And the thing is, if you, if you just take people's advice for gospel and follow it through without first critically thinking about that, and th- then, then I'm not always sure it's going to be the best advice. So I would be seek counsel. Yep. Don't seek advice for one sort. So I have what I feel like is a board of directors in my life. So if there is a challenge in my business or my life, I'll run that problem by those people. See what they are. Is there? A, if there's a general theme, I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I should probably do that. But yeah, that's how I. So I'm would you amazing. call? Those, I
0: mean, when you say these people, would you call them mentors? Would you? Um, oh, do they have a do they do they know that they're, they're, they're the they're the go-to people
1: no I just think they're people in my life and we well, these are the sort of conversations we have as friends yeah. as in you know even if we're not friends that see each other a lot I've got lots of people that I know and we don't see each other regularly but they're the sort of people I could pick up the phone and go so I've got this thing going on right can you give me a perspective on this so yeah I think yeah I'm very fortunate I know some really amazing people and I know that I can just pick up the phone or drop them on WhatsApp or whatever or we'll meet for lunch or something and get that but for me it's a broad broad yep. perspective
0: um what's your greatest superpower
1: i think um empathy empathy i really um i really get people i'm fascinated by people and i've spent a lot of time staring at people <laughs> and trying to understand people and i think as a designer you probably do right maybe i don't know i feel like i i'm people are, m- are my main hobby and interest and i think through that i ha- i have a real empathy and i can i can understand things from other people's point of view which means that i can come up with better creative i can design a business where my employees are more happy because i just feel like i can yeah i can understand people and their motivations and what they need and what they don't need and yeah witchy <laughs> let's
0: come back to let's come I think that's a good time to come back to feminism as you, as you know yeah. I'm, I'm a fellow feminist yes you are um, you are uh, but you know I think if we look at masculinity and we look at femininity you know and I look at if we're going to look at generalisations which which still are super, I think still are super relevant I would say one of the big differences and one of the challenges that the male species is still having in the workplace is empathy you know would you agree with that and what do you think what do you think needs to change
1: For me, I think that workplace culture is very masculine. So my feminism is not about gender. It's about masculine and feminine. I think that society doesn't value the feminine. Um, We value the masculine. Masculine is seen as successful. Feminine isn't. I mean, at the minute people talk about work, they talk about soft skills. Not soft skills. They're the more feminine skills that you need. And also, I think, as a human being, you play between masculine and feminine. So for me... Gender's not been in my feminism conversation for, for a long time, and that's where I want to move it to. And I, so I think in business, what we have is a very masculine culture. Uh, And until we start to get the balance of both, because equally, I'm not a champion for an all feminine culture Mm, either. You know, you look at nature, everything is designed to complement each other. The masculine and feminine is designed to complement each other. So I think until we can start to value that in the workplace, what does leadership look like when people are really authentically leading, not leading like an alpha masculine person? Because that's what we've had As women, that's been my role models growing up. It's like, okay, if I want to succeed in the workplace, I've got to have these alpha traits. And women, you know, people go, oh, well, there's women, they have been successful. And look at Margaret Thatcher, you know, is always brought up as a role model. You know, she was prime minister years ago. We've got equality. We've got a woman there, but we've got a woman who is operating at a high level of masculinity. We haven't got a feminine leader. Theresa May's no no different. Merkel's no different. So for me, I'm like, I want to see someone, and that I, you know, I don't really care what gender or what biological sex you are. Can you lead a boardroom authentically without having to be one-dimensional masculine person? And I think you can. I feel like I'm very much in my feminine running my business now. I run it with you know, a, an equal balance of feminine and masculine because I feel that that's the space mm. that I'm in. So for me, that's what businesses are getting wrong.
0: And I think, I, I, I'd like to think the New Zealand Prime Minister is definitely showing some of those skills yeah. now. And so we are starting to see those type of leaders. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go into it now, but I, I just did the Brené Brown Dare to Lead course. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah. And I found the whole being told that empathy is an antidote for shame was really interesting because I think one of the privileges as your to your point about them being in masculine cultures is actually throughout my career I have hardly ever experienced shame. So therefore it's much harder to then understand what empathy looks like because you haven't got both sides. And that's so I think it's a really interesting that that relationship I think is a really interesting mm. thing, which I'm I'm sure I'm gonna do some work over the last six six months. Um I think one thing you definitely are from everything, you know, from us knowing each other, you're definitely a change maker. Um, What do you think of the characteristics of a change maker? is?
1: Um, I think it's seeing your corner of the world and knowing that it could be improved. Um, you know, I think for me, anything that I've been doing has been about the fact that I think that there is a smarter way to be operating really if you look at everything I've done it's always been about surely there's got to be a smarter way I've been like okay surely we can run businesses in a smarter way where everybody's happy so therefore everything I do so I don't feel like I'm necessarily being you know I'm not I'm not being a deliberate provocateur I'm not deliberately creating chaos for chaos's sake, I genuinely believe that there is a better way of doing things. And I am now experimenting because I got to the point where I was like, I'm reading it, I am seeing it. But actually, no one's going to listen to me just going, oh, no, it can be done, read this book. I need to actually do it. And then if I'm doing it, no one's got an excuse not to do it.
0: I love that idea. I mean, I mean, when you talk about that smarter bit, I mean, to a certain extent, that's what we talk about when we talk about hacker. Yeah. Yeah, I do think you hack quite a lot of things. Yeah, but I also, th- yeah, I also okay. think you also make things happen as well. And I think that power is, is, enor- is enormous. Uh, it's a very difference between being a maker and a doer. Uh, this is the one that always <laughs> throws people, but hopefully, um, final question. What's the one question you would have liked me to ask you today?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, oh wow Uh, I think I would have liked you to ask me
0: how about what you're doing next what's the next big thing
1: Um, make a million pounds that's it make a million pounds well it's not that it if I make a million pounds I have then got a business where I can employ more people who can have lives that they enjoy that can get a share of that wealth. And I create financial freedom, which then means that I can do all the things that I want to do and twat around in the way that I used to and still do love doing, but without having to worry about paying bills. And so, I, yeah, I, I, can...
0: I love when you said it again, but I love your financial freedom. I think that this idea of, you know, I've got this, this, I would love to redefine wealth. Yes. Uh, because if you look at wealth, finan- finance is a tiny part of what actually yeah. brings positive wealth and positive happiness. And actually, if you look at finance, it's financial freedom that actually people, I think, are searching for. Uh, so I think it's a really interesting way of looking at money is understanding what gives you financial freedom to do what you want to do. Um, well, thank you. Uh, as I knew thank it would be, it's been it's a pleasure fun. to chat. I'm um, now have to work far smarter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good to hear. Yeah, a man after uh, my own heart. Uh,
0: although I'm sure I will still could work too hard. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. Have a fantastic day.
1: Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Creative Superpowers, the book that gives you the skills to thrive in the age of creativity. Now available on Amazon and all good bookshops.